Today on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. Just having the support, just having the discipline to, you know, show up and put yourself through um, a vigorous, you know, training program says a lot. I mean, like you can apply, you can apply all of the skills, you know, to just about any work setting, you know, or any social setting, you know, even in the future. Um, So finding ways to, to remind them of that, show them of that. I think this is something that the school has done over the years and that to, to not necessarily put on pedestals, just those people who've made it, you know, but to really, you know, bring, bring in other people or share stories or experiences of people, you know, that had the same training as, as they are receiving now, but then chose to take a different path and what, what the connections are between, um, between their training and what they're doing now. Hello, everyone. And thanks for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Pete Commander. Our guest today is Baltimore School for the Arts Head of the Dance Department, Iris Anderson Grizel. For Iris's full bio or more information about the Ballet and Beyond podcast, follow the links in the description. This episode is brought to you by Charm City Ballet. For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. Iris, thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with us today. Thank you, Pete. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to, to talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. Um, did you grow up in the Baltimore area? I did. Yeah. Born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Yep. I, and um, so how... D- how did you get into dance? What, what, and, and then specifically, what drew you to ballet? Mm-hmm. So the story is that my, um, my mother, my, my parents both went to MICA, Maryland Institute College of Art. Um, and my mother, um, a couple years into my life, when I was about three or four years old, was freelancing as, a, um, as an artist, mainly doing murals. So she would listen to classical music while she was painting. And I would often hang out with her. So I just started improvising to the classical music that she was listening to. And she noticed that there was an interest there. And she decided that um, it might be a good idea to give me some, to find me some lessons. So she, she did some research and she wanted to find um, an established place. So she found Peabody, uh, Peabody Preparatory um, downtown. And I started um, at four because they wouldn't take three-year-olds. So I had to wait a year till I was four to start training there. But, um, but that's, where it, that's where it started, just from, you know, from a musical standpoint. Um, and then, so you, were, so you were at Peabody. And then you, how long were you at Peabody? And then where were you after that? Yeah. I was at Peabody for a few years, um, uh, for probably four, five, six, I think it was seven or so um, that I transitioned, seven or eight that I transitioned um, to Kinetics Dance Theater. Peabody's program at the time had still had the Towson campus and I was going to be um, transferred. My age group was um, being transferred to the, the Towson area and that was a little far for us. So my mom, you know, sought out a different place that was a little bit closer, um, which was Kinetics. 
But while I was at Peabody, my, my main teacher was Dale Sennert, and he was a really fantastic teacher that taught us how to move creatively, which is something, you know, that is appropriate for that, for that age group. But I can still remember the exercises that we did on the floor with like circling our leg and then how that translated to circling our leg on the floor. He used to call it stirring the pot. And I just, um, and it was a beautiful, um, beautiful space to learn into. So that really stuck with me that those beginning, um, um, the beginning feeding of, of imaginative work and creativity, you know, and, and nourishing, you know, the young dancer's mind in that way. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you ended up at BSA as a student. Um, and uh, how mm-hmm. did, how did that happen in terms of how did your, your parents initiate that? Did, did you know of it beforehand? How did that sort of come about? Yeah. So, um, I went, I went on to, um, after, after Peabody, I studied with Carol Maxwell, classical ballet, studied with Carol Maxwell, who was everything that you could dream of in a ballet mistress, but with a Georgia accent. Um, she was really fantastic. Also taught me what the whys of ballet, like why we look on the diagonal instead of turning your heads because you're looking to the balconies, to the kings and queens. You don't want to look to the, the pages and the stagehands aside. She also taught me um, the the definitions that the 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 French to English trans- definitions of a lot of um, of the steps to help me understand. So um, that was really fantastic. And then I transitioned from there into kinetic dance theater, where I had Dottie Freed, and that was my first venture into modern dance learning. And it was um, straight no chaser modern dance from Dottie Freed. It was the the pure technique. Um, and that was um, that was really eye opening to me. And then I studied ballet with, mainly with Donna Padel, who was um, incredible, but um, very um, very laser like focused in her um, in her approach to training. Also in my class was Alicia Graf Mack of DTH and Ailey and Complexions fame, and now is the um, director of dance at Juilliard. So you know, no pressure, right? Um, starting point with her. And then um, I sort of that this was middle school age, and I started to lose interest in dance on that because it was starting to impede on my social life because, you know, like, fifth grade, sixth grade was um, the party started happening. And I decided I wanted to step away from dance because I had dance classes on Friday nights. And that's when everybody's birthday parties or sleepovers were and I was tired of saying, I'm sorry, I can't, I have dance. So I tried that. And then in that year, I picked up horseback riding, which I really enjoyed doing, but I missed dance. I missed my dance friends and I did, I missed the dance community. And I found myself in my room alone dancing. And then I thought, okay, well, it's probably time to go back. So when I went back, I was really adamant, like this now takes a second seat to my horseback riding because I found this new thing you know, I'm sure I was just going through like some self-identity stuff. Like, you know, what, what am I, what, who am I, what am I really all about? But that didn't last very long. Um, I still continued writing, but dance came back in. And I was also homeschooled for eighth grade. So when my parents brought up this idea of going to Baltimore School for the Arts, I was like, I don't want to do that because I don't know anybody there. And all I wanted to do was get back to where my local 
friends were having, you know, having been out of my middle school for a year. But going to a performance changed that. I, I went to see, um, I think their spring dance concert and I, I just said, okay, I wanna do that. Like I, I was really impressed with what I was seeing on stage. And so my mom found an alum to choreograph my solo. And um, that alum was Gary Shaw and he choreographed a solo to Mozart's Requiem. So it was, pretty, it was a pretty intense um, audition piece. But I got in and um, that like opened my eyes even more. Like, like BSA was kind of like entering into the big leagues. Um, being under the, you know, mentorship of Norma Perra and Deborah Robinson-Deckelbaum and Tony Wilson, Sandy Lacey, Sandra Fortune um, and Stephanie Powell. I mean, I had these incredible teachers that had all of this incredible experience and um, the diverse group of, of dancers that I was with, um, also was was incredible um, to be to be with and the guest choreographers that the school brought in to work with really um, gave me a taste of what the professional experience was going to be like um, to have you know we we were like a, a little company in ourselves and um, that really really um, helped me decide whether or not I wanted to you know pursue dance as a as a profession. So right. It helped. Right. Yeah. So so then you um, graduated from BSA and went all the way out to to the West Coast. Went out to uh, the California Institute of the Arts. And so what what took you to Cal Arts? Um, and and I guess how did you how did you navigate the decision to 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 go to specifically CalArts, but then to go into something more like is uh, I'm sorry, is CalArts like a university? Is it a it's it's a it's a it's a college? It's not a university. It a it's a it's a private yeah. It's a private college. Okay, mm -hmm. okay got it. It's a private college. Um, so it, it, yeah. to what helped you go in the route of college instead of something like conservatory or company? Um, and and who kind of helped guide you through all of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I had studied in different summer schools at BSA, you know, um, uh, and they, two of them took me up to New York, and um, I, I liked the New York experience, but I was also really overwhelmed, and I remember being told from some of the teachers and directors in those programs, you know, you're okay, but if you, you know, lost a little here and a little there and then maybe you can come and join my company and you know I took that in and um and wasn't really willing to like compromise myself or how I saw myself as a dancer you know to fit somebody else's um ideal of what I could be so that was part of it. And then the other part was um, Lawrence Blake, one of the professors at CalArts came to Baltimore School for the Arts to recruit. And he taught a couple of masterclasses and said, hey, if you're interested in, a, in applying, you know, fill out this paperwork. I liked him, I liked the classes, I liked what he was saying about the school. And I, I filled it out and I was accepted and I really needed a change in scenery, I needed um, to be out of the city. I had been, you know, in 
downtown Baltimore from my high school years and this idea of New York being this like place of where I would have to conform, you know, in some way or another in order to compete with everybody else and everything else that was going on there. I just decided to like rebel and go way far away to a different land, which is what it really felt like on the West Coast. And um, studied at CalArts for four years. And um, the landscape was indeed very different. The, the ideas about dance were very different. I went onto the other end of the spectrum. It was like conceptual this and um, experimentational this. And that was just really exciting to me because I had spent my whole life to that point really trying to again, fit in or understand how I was going to chameleon myself into something. But this was, you know, all this collaboration work at the school and working with different departments and um, anything went and nothing was too wild or crazy, you know, nothing was too edgy. Um, So I found it very stimulating to work in that environment. And I got to start to develop myself as a, as a choreographer and a creative Um, and figure out what that was. And um, that led me into um, a semester abroad at London Contemporary Dance School. I worked very hard for that opportunity. I had to be um, at the top of my class to even apply. So that was another eye-opening experience, being in the metropolis that London is, and being with all of these European dancers, and, and seeing like that, wow, this is a legit thing that people do. Like, you know, they... People get paid and have jobs and there's, there are companies left and right. And that was another like just really invigorating um, experience for me to see, to see that city and to, and it really fed my, um, my independent um, soul of like just walking those streets and being a part of that and, um, and meeting new friends and people. And then um, coming back into, into CalArts, um, I had some really great professors that I ended up, you know, keeping in touch with who were able to employ me a little bit later. Um, and um, at the time, you're going back to making the decision about CalArts, at the t- it was very different than it is now. Um, the amount of options that students have now for what they can do is just incredible. And the amount of thought that the students and families and those like guidance counselors who are helping with that process is, is, is way bigger. Um, back then, I, I, and maybe just was maybe I limited myself in thinking, but it was like, okay, you know, this person wants you great. The other place that I was looking at to, that I was applying for was a place that my boyfriend at the time was going all the way up in Maine, which, you know, and so I just didn't really, I, I, I didn't give myself that opportunity. I just kind of took the first thing that um, that uh, was like handed to me, you know, of like, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that I did because I'm, I'm glad that I made that choice. But I just remark on how how different it feels now to you know to help counsel students in. So um, there were um, there was help, but it was kind of like, okay, well, if you want to do that, great, you know, and go and do it, and. You know, I had to forge and find my way. Um, and luckily, I was very bold and, and brazen at that, you know, at that age um, to to take on and not be afraid of like traveling to another country or being, you know, across the country away from my family or 
Um, so I sort of found, um, I found mentors along the way. I definitely felt like a, um, like I was being seen more as a whole person in the college experience as I started to venture out instead of, you know, this compartmentalized, well, I can make it so that, you know, you just see me as a dancer, but the college experience was like, no, we see all of you and we, we, we care about all of you because you're, you're every, all of your decisions, all of your choices funnel into, you know, how you're developing like as an artist. Mm. So I appreciated that too. Um, but right. yeah, I just, right. I think and I was, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were, you were prepared. Go ahead. I felt like I was prepared, you know, for, for the work. Um, mm by um by the training that i got and then the mm-hmm. rest i sort of tried to figure out on my own right right and so so cal and then you stayed in california for a while after after you graduated is that right yeah i did i came back after graduation for about a year back to baltimore for about a year um i was a little lost it kind of felt like i graduated and then I didn't have a lot of transitional skills at the time. Um, I just sort of came back and I think I had like four or five jobs back here in Baltimore. And I, I was just trying to find my way of like, what's next? Um, luckily, I had a, um, a friend of mine that I went to school with who was working on a project. And she invited me back out to Los Angeles to, to work on this project. And that project didn't end up panning out, but I decided I'm going to um, I have fresh friends and fresh connections and resources here because of my college years. So I'm just going to take advantage of that. Um, I was introduced to a, an incredible teacher and mentor who is near and dear to me to this day named Wendy Lawson. And um, she had an independent dance school that she taught out of her house. Um, she taught classes. Um, her mother was a dance teacher. So she sort of took over for her mother and she took my lost, bewildered self and, you know, again, reinvigorated me um, in my love for ballet and got me to a point where I was able to audition for a regional company. And so that regional company was run by two of my professors from CalArts, um, Cynthia Young and Lawrence Blake. So I was... Um, was trained and prepared. And then um, this was not, I didn't, I didn't have a cell phone, like just, there was no, there wasn't this instant, you know, like finding. So I just showed up to the audition and they said, oh, hey, like, you know, you could, you could have just called. And I was like, no, I need to show up like everybody else and, you know, an audition for your company. So um, I did that, and um, that was one of my longest um, standing, uh, or longest professional um, opportunities and gigs that I had in California. Um, That grew from um, starting in the company, to then teaching in the school, to then managing the studio, to um, becoming um, like a principal in that company and having a lot of opportunities. And then I did a lot, I danced with other companies here and there along the way but that was the again the longest one um and that way enabled me to um to just keep in it you know keep in the dance world um right and right and um 
and work independently, you know, as a professional kind of freelancer. So, so there. what was that? What was that like? What, uh, how did you, well, how did you survive? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, and really like, what was your day to day life? Like, what was your training regimen? Like, I, I imagine you'd have to be quite self-motivated to, to yeah. be on the other side of the country and like stay in it. So how, what was, yeah. what was that like for you? How did you, how did you manage that? Yeah, that was, um, that was challenging because, um, I had to, again, have uh, a bunch of different jobs just to kind of scrape by and make ends meet. Um, everything from catering to coffee shop, flower shop was like all of these different random things. And, um, I was fortunate to have Cynthia Young at Pasadena Dance Theater created a position, the studio manager position for me so that I could be a little bit more salary to take some of these other things off of my plate. But um, it took a lot of um, organization, definitely a lot of motivation to keep up with all of that, um, with, with my schedule from what I was doing from one day to the next. And then on top of that, I had um, a professional job. So I had to make sure that I was in class enough. I did all kinds of um, outside supplemental things. I did bar, bar this, bar that, Pilates this, Pilates that. I um, found some um, Pilates studios that would, and, and also physical therapy spaces that would accept my meager dollars or would like allow me to exchange um, something for some time, you know, in, in the spaces, that kind of like bartering. I did that. And um, I also, um, the Rose Bowl um, in Pasadena um, has an aquatic center and they have some Olympic sized pools and their membership was really, really cheap, you know, cheaper than some of the other more expensive gyms. So I, I had a membership there and I would swim outside so I got some sun and some exercise at the same time um but yeah and, I, and like there were uh, I lived near uh, a park so I would walk I mean it was like a when I look back on it now it was like I was just constantly in motion and constantly training you know but I was um I was responsible for just myself you know I lived independently and it was just me so that made it easier to focus I was right. able to just focus on what I needed to do um, to prepare my mind and my body and take care of myself for, you know, for the season, you know, that we were performing in. So, um, right. Right. but um, I think it was um, sometimes hard because sometimes it felt like I was treading water, you know, and um, just putting all this effort in just to maintain and, um, you know, but the the satisfaction of the performances always helped, you know, justified right. Right. all of that work and <laughs> right. training in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you did that for what, seven, eight years, something like that? Um, after graduating, it was an additional 10, 11 years that I. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stayed. Wow. wow. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. It's one of those things I actually was talking to someone recently, um, and they asked me ironically about what I would have done differently in, in my twenties after, after graduating. And my answer was something similar to what you, what you, what you did, um, which was work as much as you can, 
Like work, just, just do it all now and, and find your, A, find your limits. Like, like I'm sure somewhere in that, in those 10 years, you, you started to, and, and we can talk about this, but where you started to feel like it was too much. And so had to sort of find a, a better balance of it. Um, but ultimately to just like push yourself as hard as you can to try to find where you, you best fit, um, yeah. something like that. Um, so it sounds mm-hmm. like that's exactly what you did. Yeah. Yeah. I was the first one in last one out. I had the keys to the studio. So I let oh, myself wow. in and I did my thing and then I would have those pink tights on and that too shoe on and those point shoes on until you know late hours you know working um really hard i i am i don't see myself as a dancer that you know came equipped with all all of the ideal um tools so i really felt like i needed to put in that extra hard work beyond everybody else just to get myself physically you know to where i felt like i needed and wanted to be and then just to have that time in the studio, you know, with the mirror to figure out how I was developing myself artistically, how to utilize my headlines and my porta bra, you know, to blur some of the, you know, the lacking, you know, in, in, in technique or, you know, technical ability, like extension, et cetera, you know, to figure that out. So right. yes, it was a, it was a, it was a journey. Right. Right. And so you sort of, you sort of talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the things that you felt like you took away from that? We can, we can even say some of the lessons you learned, um, some of the ways in which you grew personally from that, all of that experience. And, and what do you bring from that now into you, into what you teach and how you teach your, your own students? Yeah. I think that's when I learned how to multitask and to be versatile. Um, I, I, I worked really hard, as you said, and I developed skills in all kinds of areas besides just because just dance, but, you know, working with other students in the management part, working with parents, working with people that were renting the studio. I did the ticket sales for a, for a while there. I did, um, I, I learned what the business side of, running a studio and a company was all about. Um, and that broadened my view on how um, it was possible, you know, how it is possible, you know, for many people to do so many different jobs and what it takes, you know, just to keep businesses and studios and companies afloat. So um, that education was really, really valuable. I took that into, um, every, I've taken it into everything I've done so far. Um, this, the, the management piece, you know, and it's not, not just managing of someone else's business and like, but management of myself and my, um, and, um, between, you know, personal and professional, how I, how I was doing that. Um, so, um, just, just reiterating, you know, the, um, the flexibility, the versatility, you know, to never put anything outside of, you know, of your wheelhouse of capability. Um, also saying yes, you know, it is really good to say no a lot, but it is also good to say yes when appropriate, when, when it's going to give you something that you can take with you, you know, 
whether big or small, that will come in handy later down the line. I mean, I, I, I distinctly remember so many different whys in the road that I could have done this or I could have done that. And I think that the consistency of being able to say, yes, yes, I'll try that. Yes, I can do that. Even yes, I can do that when I really am not convinced whatsoever that I can do that. But um, that gave me experience um, and reliability and consistency in the profession and in the field to where um, people knew that they could rely on me. And people knew that, you know, I had the experience, you know, behind me to be able to qualify for, it, you know, whatever. Um, right. So right. that that was really important. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, uh, so tell me what you think about this. Is uh, I had said recently to one of my students to make themselves undeniable. That is to say, and this is something I learned from my mentor, um, which was, which was when you are given a task or you're given something to do, instead of thinking of it as beneath you or, or that you necessarily want more out of it, is to first make yourself undeniable at, at what you've been given. And, then, and then, the, then the idea sort of is that it'll get recognized because it's undeniable at that point. Um, and, I mean, again, that sounds exactly like, like the type of work that, that you were putting in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you have to, um, yeah, um, undeniability is a, is a really, really great word because it's like without a doubt. And, um, you do have to be able to, um, take on challenges, even when you personally don't feel like at the time that's the right challenge for you or like roles that you are offered or given or are available to you that you don't feel like, well, that's not me. Or I mean, some of my best work was work that I struggled with from start to finish. And I could not stand to be in the rehearsals and I could not stand the person I was working that, you know, created diamonds, you know, of work that taught me so much about um, resiliency and, and working through and then um, that's something I'm trying to impart to my students right now. It's like, you know, you can make something of, you can make anything of what you are given. And there is no such thing as a role too small, right? Or even too big, because that can be overwhelming too. Mm. Um, but how, how and what you make of it does not go unnoticed. Like hardly ever, right? That someone is always paying attention at some point to how you're working and what you're doing with with what you're given and just right. how you're growing and how you can sort of push at your own edges you know to to develop yourself artistically when you decide to um to assume that responsibility of of regardless of how you feel about it um taking it on taking on the challenge is really i i really like that you just use the word responsibility because i i, I and 100% behind the idea that it's, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're conducting yourself in a way that's appropriate for the goals that you're, that you're setting for yourself and the expectations yeah. that you have for yourself. Yeah. Sometimes our pride robs us of those opportunities, mm. you know, and sometimes we, we have these limitations of, well, if I, if I can't do it perfect or if I can't do it right, then I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to do it. And that um, vulnerability is also really important. I mean, dance is such a vulnerable art form. I mean, it's like there's no hiding behind anything. It's like what you see is what you get. So right. it takes takes that as well to mm. um, to be willing and to right. put yourself out there. Right. So, so then you came back to Baltimore. What brought you back to Baltimore initially? And then um, when you were back here, where did you start? What did you, what did you um, pick up once you, were, once you were back? Yeah, so um, I, I was not feeling like I, I felt like I had reached my, my, my pinnacle um, in, on the West Coast because life was great but there was like a tugging at my heart. There was like a, a yearning for something a little deeper, a little bit more meaningful. And I'd also, I also missed my family. And I, I don't think that I fully ever committed to the idea of like establishing my life, you know, permanently so far away from home. So um, I decided it was time to, to come back. And I was also ready to, um, to turn my focus a little bit more on my personal life and starting a family of my own and, um, and, and those things. So I thought, you know, I wanted that support. So I, um, so I knew it was time. And um, Baltimore School for the Arts was one of the places that I thought to myself, well, that institution would make this transition worth it because it's a place that I always respected and um, admired. And I knew that the, the teaching opportunity or the employment opportunity there would be great. So luckily I was hired as a the TWIGS program manager, which is TWIGS stands for To Work in Gaining Skills. That's an after-school arts program that School for the Arts offers. Um, and for Baltimore City children by audition. And that was extremely fulfilling for me because it was being back in the building, back connected to the arts, um, learning more about the different departments because it wasn't just dance, it was all the different departments. I eventually started teaching in the TWIGS program. So I got um, my teaching experience there at the school. That led into teaching a class in the high school, which led into some more. Um, and um, so I was just, um, that gave me the, the anchor and the grounding and the, and the um, foundational and like the, the satisfaction in my professional world um, to be back connected with the school. And, um, and then me, in the meantime, I was, I was still dancing, freelancing a little bit. I worked with Bowen Macaulay Dance, um, worked with Harford Ballet Company. I did some um, Campbell Dance Experience. I did some, um, some work with some local companies as well. So um, I was still trying to balance work and dance. Um, but um, it, it just, again, it opened up that um, a way for me to, to work in a more meaningful capacity um, that, that felt a little more um, right um, mm -hmm. for me. So um, that led to um, an, the opportunity to apply for dance department head. Um, I applied for it um, initially and made it down to the last three, but was not given the opportunity and continued my work into twigs and then um, applied for a second time. And um, am now the dance department head at Baltimore School of the Arts. So that is a 
it's a it's a huge um, milestone and full circle um, story for me for sure um, to now right. be in this position. Yeah. Right. Right. So how has the we're going to come back to your role as head of the department for sure. But um, when you went back uh, initially to BSA, how did you find that the program had changed? We could say evolved. Um, was the head of the department at the time different than when you were a student? Um, and if so, how, how had that influenced the direction of the program? Yes, Ms. Norma Paris softened up quite a bit from my years to um, her, her last years there as department head, um, which was needed. You know, I mean, um, the flexibility was needed um, because the needs of the students are constantly changing. So um, it, um, it had expanded a bit and there were some different classes offered in the curriculum, um, but nothing too, too different. Um, so it was really, really felt the same. It was just that the, the school had changed because um, they had since done a renovation. So there were new studios. And so the space felt different and new and exciting, um, but the program, you know, was was fundamentally still the same. Um, when when Laura Holm Hamilton took over, she started into um, shifting um, some more of the curriculum a little bit, um, um, shifting it a little bit more towards um, contemporary work or opening up the guest artists, you know, opportunities to a little bit more of contemporary and bringing her her professional experience and sensibility into the program, as well as really taking a look at how um, opportunity was distributed within the, the department and, um, and what needed to change there and what needed to shift. And this was just before the pandemic when everything was, you know, really shooken up. And so we're, we're like on a really different um, trajectory right now, just because of, of there's no, no option, no choice to go backwards. But so much has, has been, you know, shooken up in the dance world that we're all kind of trying to figure out, you know, where things are landing and where to grab pieces to put them back together again and what direction we, we need them to go in. Um, right. And the dancers themselves um, are traumatized um, and their, their training was disrupted. And I think that, you know, I am learning really quickly that the things that I assume, you know, are known are not necessarily known by some of these, you know, um, newer, newer generations of dancers because of right. that disruption. Hmm. And um, also, you know, the healing capacity, you know, the need for, for wellness and, um, and how we incorporate um, mental health and taking care of ourselves into the, um, the, into the training without sacrificing the integrity of the training. That's a big challenge. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you had this experience as well, but I, I found for, at least me as a, as a teacher, I'll speak for myself, um, that there was, a, there, there was an interesting sort of bell curve distribution where on one end I had students that stopped dancing entirely during the pandemic. 
On the other end, uh, there were dancers that did, took the opportunity of the, I'll say it that way, took the opportunity of the pandemic and really just sharpened themselves um, in a surprising way. There was about, you know, 70% in the middle that sort of just wrote it out and we all, and I was, I was more like in that group where it was like, we're just going to plow through and do the best we can. But we had, we had a few students that really saw it and took it as an opportunity. And, and when they came back into the studio, they were completely different dancers, um, which was, which was a really mm -hmm. interesting, it, it was not necessarily what I expected. Um, but, but I was, I was surprised at the, at the potential resilience in some of, in some of the students and, and how they, how they extracted that potential themselves during what would otherwise be a pretty intense, I'll say for lack of a better way of saying it, experience through, through two years of a pandemic. I don't know if you, if you had a similar, a similar, yeah. uh, experience. Yeah. Definitely. And I, th I think for the most part, the students that found uh, success through the pandemic and doing online training were ones that had already established a pretty good routine and had pretty good organizational skills to begin mm -hmm. with. And so they were able to transition um, pretty seamlessly because they had taken the time to develop what that meant to them. And so being in a different environment didn't necessarily, you know, change their um, their commitment to their to their own rituals or their own practices of how they were, you know, going to approach their training. Um, right. But there were there were some that I was just really, you know, concerned about that um, I thought that this was, you know, they were just going to really um, just turn and go the other direction, and so it got. Um, I think that we were able to sort of pull those students out of, of that just in the nick of time for them to, you know, be able to return back. But, you know, dancers right. hitting their foot against their like ceiling fan bulbs and then the ceiling fan bulbs shattering all over the place. And then that caused a meltdown. And then it was like, you know, it was just like enough was enough. But, um, mm. but, but yeah, I think that those, those students who, who have the, had the tendency were, the ability who are or at least who appreciated their um their alone time to focus or the or the focused time that it was um were, were able to deepen that for sure right that ability right yeah so let's go back to uh you your role as department head what exactly is your role as department head and one of the what are the some of the challenges that you face in your position and that the program faces as a program and how do you manage those and and sort of uh yeah how do you manage those yeah I'm still figuring out what this all means um, to me just a couple months in, but I will reiterate that that um, balancing the current needs of the students um, with with not losing the integrity of of the type of training that they need, you know, to be competitive, you know, applying for conservatories, colleges, um, companies, and all of that. Um, there's a delicacy that they that they have um, right now that is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is um, 
but it is something that needs to be tended to, you know, and, um, and handled with care, how they receive. I think that things are still very magnified for them. Um, um, and um, again, how they're taking in information matters to them. Um, advocating for themselves matters to them. Um, and that is, that can be challenging because they don't always have the, the tools to do so. They, they mean well, and I, I applaud and support them for advocating for themselves, but sometimes there's a missing link between, you know, with the how and the, you know, and in the approach, you know, that they're trying to, um, to um, make their needs and their concerns known. So how do I receive them and receive what they're saying with grace and with understanding and with empathy, but also holding on to what I know I need to do to navigate the ship, you know, um, to keep the structure intact and to keep, um, to keep us moving forward. Um, that's been that's been a challenge that I've, I've identified um, for myself personally, how I, I'm on the receiving and the collecting end all day long. And then I, um, I have to then process. So like time management of like processing the information and then coming up with the solutions because that time is not built into the workday. That's like an after hours thing. So, and, you know, so um, I know that that can be really un unsustainable. So how do I um, figure out how I can block time off, you know, in during reasonable hours to come up with solutions? You know, how do I stay visionary in what I'm trying to do while still making sure that I'm not, you know, ignoring or not tending to um, the everyday needs of both, you know, the the families, the students, and the faculty, and other stakeholders, you know, in the um, in the school and beyond. Right. Um, so yeah, that it's it's kind of a balancing act. But I'm um, trying not to see it as that. I'm trying to just figure out how I can blend all of this in and also do it creatively. I sent. I sometimes forget that. You know, like I see my, I'm a total artist and I am a creative, um, you know, person. And, and, but I think, oh no, that's just, that's just for teaching or dancing. That's just for me, you know, but it's like, no, actually, you know, creativity is, is your, your approach. And it, it's, um, it helps me to remember that I can solve problems creatively. I can take all of that, um, that I have done all my life and transform it into, in, into something different that can then, you know, um, bring us to some, some solutions, you know, whatever they right. may be. Right. Day. Yeah. I was talking recently uh, with Tamako Miyasaki who had done a master class for us. Um, and we were talking about how something like the, a position like a director of a, of a company, and we were speaking on uh, about professional level companies at the time, but it really can apply to to pretty much the the director or the head of any sort of. You could be the director or the head of uh, you know your department, your position, uh, the the owner of a of a studio or or a, or a small local regional company, something like that. Um, how that how it's difficult to find the balance between 
like you said, using, using your creativity to, to solve problems, but also doing the, we'll call it business management things that keep the doors open and the boat afloat, like you said. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's not only difficult as an individual to balance that, but it's also hard to find that within yourself to, to, to find both sides and to be able to draw on them when needed and to know the difference between the situations that you need one and the situations you need the other. Um, is, is that something that you have, so you said, uh, you know, in your experience on the West coast that you had a lot of, of insight into the different aspects, um, that are outside of the studio. Um, how has that, how have you brought that into your work at BSA as, as the head of the department? I know you don't, it's only been a few months, but how have you drawn on that to be able to implement some of those concepts, some of those things that you learned into a, a more, I, I should say, a different type of formal setting, which is, which is dance education? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's in, um, the importance of, again, um, the versatility factor. So, I mean, I did almost everything you could possibly think of. I mean, when I was in college, I did, I work studied in the theater. So I learned how to hang, hang the lights. I learned how to run the sound. I learned how to like run the light board. And um, I learned what like managing, you know, the space was all about. Um, that came into play later when I was able to single-handedly, you know, put on a summer intensive, you know, production or performance, you know, it was like, yes, I can do that. You know, I know how to do that. Um, so I think that um, I'm, I'm going to try to, in this position that I'm in now, remind the students that, you know, the, the learning process of all of these different things, you know, applies. Like, I think there was a Juilliard, or maybe it was, um, maybe it was a USC School of Dance poster a couple of years ago that had this beautiful dancer on it. And then it was like rays of words coming off of this dancer. And it was like all of the dance related jobs that you could possibly have anything from like, you know, the stage to, to, I mean, it was just, and it was like the amount of different things. So, um, that is really important that you just because you, you know, if you, or if you decide to not pursue dance professionally, there are still other, you know, areas or fields or, or categories that you can, um, participate in or use your training or use that knowledge and experience into um, one being as simple as like being an audience member, you know? Um, so um, I think that uh, that's important for them to understand that um, they don't um, put the blinders on and, um, and forget that what they're learning, you know, will apply, you know, and will, will, will it weave itself into, you know, whatever they finally decide that they want to do or as they, as it shifts and grows. Um, because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do, you know, what I, uh, I, I couldn't do this job. I, could, I couldn't have the type of experience without having given myself those opportunities then. Um, so there's just, right. you know, the, the opportunities are, are wide these days. Um, and, uh, just having the support, just having the discipline to, you know, show up and put yourself through um, a vigorous, you know, training program you know, says a lot. I mean, like you can apply 
you can apply all of the skills, you know, to just about any work setting, you know, or any social setting, you know, even in the future. Um, so finding ways to, to remind them of that, show them of that. I think this is something that the school has done over the years and that to, to not necessarily put on pedestals, just those people who've made it, you know, but to really, you know, bring, bring in other people or share stories or experiences of people, you know, that had the same training as, as they are receiving now, but then chose to take a different path and what, what the connections are between, um, between their training and what they're doing now. So right. Right. as many of those as possible. Right. So I actually want to switch if you're okay. Uh, uh, shifting gears. I want to talk about Julep a little bit. Um, who is your daughter. Uh, and she is, she's six, seven six. now? Yeah, six and a half. Six. Um, my goodness. Um, so she's, she's six and a half now. Um, and so what, how did her dance uh, enthusiasm start? Um, and then how did you start the navigation process of, of, of figuring out where to take her? I mean, fortunately, you're an industry insider, so to speak. So you, you sort of have an understanding of where she should be starting and, and sort of what to look for in a school. Um, how did you start that process? What was that like for you? Mm -hmm. Um, so she, of course, I am somebody that would love if she chose some, some people would not, some people do not wish, um, our lives <laughs> on to other young lives, but I don't feel that way. I, I'm, I, I, I just, every single time I, you know, I see her in a leotard and tights, it's like my heart, you know, so I'm, um, it's, it's really, really special to me. And I, I, I had to let go of the idea that this may not be something that she wants to do. I think that's one of the hardest part, you know, hardest things for an insider to accept is this may not be your child's path and you're going to have to deal with that. So I think I have to meditate on that every day, but, um, she seemed to show an interest in what I was doing. And, um, and that was really, really special to me. And so um, I am so glad that she started with you. Um, bringing her to Charm City Ballet was her first um, experience in and it made a it made a huge difference because it was fun. It was Disney Ballet Camp and um, she um, seeing her in that week um, made me go, okay, like this, you know, there, there, there's something here. She's latching on a little to, to this scene and this environment and this direction. And um, she seems to be really like a, a appreciative and accepting of the, of the discipline factor, which was another like key. I was looking for, okay, is she behaving? Is she paying attention? is like, does, is, is something like, is something sparking, you know, something in her? And I saw all of that. So that made it go, okay, so we can do this again. And then maybe we can talk about um, classes. So it's been really step-by-step. Step. Um, and um, she is at Peabody now, which is another full circle situation for me um, because it's where I started. And it's also close to BSA. Peabody is right around the corner. Um, so it enables me to, to, um, get her to and from, or at least 
you know, meet and, and be a part of it a little bit. Um, but um, I think that um, what's important is, is, again, going back to like what I knew my experience to be was that um, you have teachers for young dancers who are, um, are enthusiastic and, and really understand um, a little bit about early childhood development and, and the creativity factor and the imagination factor. I mean, you can't, you can't be very, can't start talking ballet terminology, you know, to a two-year-old or even a three-year-old. Um, but how are you interesting them, you know, and how you do that is everything. And then, um, so finding, um, finding places and people who are really rooted in the, in, in the right, in the right place and in the right way of, of, um, you know, a shared love for dance and um, a joy um, for watching, you know, young children move and explore themselves and their bodies often for the first time and, um, and connecting with music and figuring out what that, you know, what that can open up um, in them um, is, is important. I think that, um, convenience isn't, isn't everything, you know, and, um, I think that it takes it, 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 for you to really start off on the right foot in the right way. It takes doing some research and finding out who these people are and, and what they're rooted in and what are their, um, what are their, um, like teaching philosophies. Right. Right. So, yeah, so you've, you've, sort of gone into this already, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, separate it just so, just so it's separated, um, which is that you've been on both sides of the, now of the teacher, of the performer, I said, I should say all sides of the performer slash teacher in the industry and out of it dichotomy. Um, what, and, and then I'm sorry, yeah, out of it in that you're now a parent of a dancer as well as a very experienced performer and teacher yourself. What sort of advice do you have for parents who are looking, either looking to get their children into dance or are in it and are now trying to figure out what to do next? This was something from my personal experience, and my parents still say this, that they had no idea what to do. They had no idea what to do. I didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. And it didn't it was very difficult to find answers and there was no, there was no like jumping on the internet to do a, to do a search. Like most right. schools didn't even have websites at the time. So it was like, it was one of those things that was very difficult to navigate. Now there are more resources, but it still seems that to me that if someone doesn't know even where to start, then, then it's, it's very difficult. So what, what would you have, what, what kind of advice would you have for parents in that situation? Yeah, it is. It is very overwhelming um, when uh, when you have no um, point of reference or, or no um, starting point, or you don't know someone who is a dancer, or you don't know a dance teacher. It's like, I mean, um, I think that um, like personal referrals are still really important um, to have um, to have recommendations is really important. But um, again, it goes back to like what what um, 
what is the primary focus of this studio, you know, or what um, I personally think that regardless of what your child may end up doing, you know, in the dance world, I think it's important to find um, places that are teaching the, the fundamentals um, very thoroughly and are maybe not necessarily trying to do every and anything. Um, that, um, you know, especially when it comes to their, you know, teaching, teaching young dancers, that, you know, there aren't unlimited options, but it's no, this is what we do. And this is how we teach it. And this is why I think to have to have that is really important, you know, or and then to be able to get um, studio owners or talk to somebody on the phone. I mean, I think that that still is really important. Um, but that's just, you know, again, um, not knowing what you're looking for, you know, can be hard, but um, like understanding again, just what the, what the concentration and focus is of that particular school and know that, you know, yeah, your child may want to explore other, other things, you know, later on down the line, but you're setting, you're setting the tone, you know, and you're, you're kind of making or breaking it, you know, from, from the beginning with, with your choice, you know, so, you know, what's the experience level of the teachers, you know, teaching um, young dancers. Sometimes people think that younger, less experienced can are, you know, closer in age to, to younger dancers means, and it, it could, and then it couldn't. So, but what is their, you know, how are they doing it? Can you go and observe a class? Is that allowed? Is it, you know, what, um, how open are people with sharing information with you about how um, are they making you feel valued as a potential, um, you know, family or client or, you know, what, what's the, like, what, what is that and how does that sit with you? You know, does it really matter to you or does it not really matter? Sometimes convenience matters more to people. Um, and so, or it's wherever all the friends are going you know, but is, is that really the experience that you want to give your child, you know, or is it because, or, or not? I mean, it's, it's really, really hard for me to not think, you know, in being, you know, being a dancer and being, being an artist of, you know, of how that would not be important, you know, but I can definitely pass on and stress to others that, um, that type of felt experience and that level of care, just from even inquiring to, to a place about, you know, what the options would be. Um, I think that that matters, that kind of customer service and care and um, ability to be able to explain the philosophy of the school. I mean, and I think that that places that have that build, um, build from the ground up and, and someone can clearly explain to you, you know, the trajectory, well, here's where we start and here's how we do it. And then here's where they move and here's why they move and here how, here's how it branches out and here's why it branches out. And then here's where, you know, we hope that they may get to, you know, if they continue on this, on this path. I mean, that, that is, that's extremely important instead of, you know, I'm just going to sign up, you know, from one semester or year to the next without any clear um, pathway. Regardless, again, on whether the child decides to, you know, to pursue. But those right. connections um, really make a big difference. Right. Well, Iris, thank you. Really, thank you very, very much for taking the time to, to chat today. Definitely appreciate it. And um, 
Yeah, we're excited to, I'm excited for everyone to, to hear your story. Thank you for letting me tell it, Pete. I really appreciate it. You're fulfilled my like celebrity dreams here. Like <laughs> to be Excellent. in this seat. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is really wonderful for us to share. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the Ballet and Beyond podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by Charm City Ballet. For more information on classes and upcoming performances, visit www.charmcityballet.com. New episodes are released weekly, so be sure to check back for more. For guest requests, email ballet and beyond podcast at gmail.com.